We're going to continue in the Gospel of Matthew today. And uh, before we get started, there's this fantastic movie which very few people have ever seen. Have any of you seen this movie called Silence? Like one or two of you? If you ever get a chance to see it, you really should. It has like Liam Neeson, Andrew Garfield in there, uh, Adam Driver, and it's directed by Martin Scorsese. It's a, it was a pretty highly, uh, uh, it has a, a high pedigree behind it. But a lot of, in my opinion, it's one of the best movies no one has seen. And it's about the persecution of Christianity in Japan during the 1600s because there was a, a uh, shogun that took over, a uh, ruler in Japan, who felt like Japan needed to go back to its traditional ways in the 1600s. And one of the ways that he felt that Japan needed to be cleaned, or cleansed back to its traditional ways, was to remove all the Christians. And at the time, there had been a, a fairly flourishing uh, group of Christians uh, at the time in Japan. And so this movie follows uh, the story of two priests that are going to look for uh, a fellow that had gone to evangelize in Japan, and they're looking for him to see what happened to him. And it's a, it's a difficult movie to watch. It, takes about, it took me about four times to get through it because it is very deep, very powerful, and it's completely misunderstood by the secular world as to what it's about. But in the, in the movie, there's this character who he, he has this passion for Jesus, and, he's, and he wants to, to be a Christian, and he wants to follow uh, these guys. These guys are priests in the, in the movie. But every time he's under pressure, every time he's under any kind of persecution or even threat of any kind of uh, harm, he caves. He caves in, uh, will betray his companions, goes on the run, and then he'll come back and he'll ask him for forgiveness and repenting, and he's, and he's on his knees and crying, and then he comes back into the fold, and then as soon as there's a threat of persecution, or there's a threat of him being tortured, because in the movie, he sees people die, this fellow that has a, is constantly breaking. And, uh, and in the movie, he does this about three, two or three times. And about the third time, you know, you, as you get invested into the main characters and seeing what they're enduring, and this guy just keeps breaking and running, when he comes back for forgiveness about the third or fourth time, as a viewer of the film, you want to yell at the screen, don't take this guy back! This guy's going to be, I mean, you, can, you don't have to wish him ill, but don't let him close to you. Don't let him close because every time he gets close, he does some kind of betrayal out of fear and ends up, you know, the, the main characters just go deeper and deeper into a, their difficulty that they're dealing with. And people die. And so, you, so one of the struggles you have as a viewer, especially if you're a Christian, is this area of, of forgiveness. You know, how much should they, this guy be forgiven? And what does it mean to, to forgive someone when they've betrayed you or when there's been a hurt done to you by them? So it's a great film. I, I really recommend it. It's hard to watch. It's one of these ones that we should like watch as a church and then discuss it afterwards so that people don't go home depressed because it's, it's deep, but it's very, very good. But when it comes to forgiveness, I think a lot of us feel this way. You know, I'm, I feel very challenged by Jesus when he talks about forgiveness. And I got to tell you, this going through the chapter 18 of Matthew has just been one, you know, spiritual and emotional body blow after another. And, uh, you know, we, we talked about how God feels about children then going about going after the one that is uh, the wandering one. Today's forgiveness. Next week's divorce. So, whoa, you know, 
uh, Matthew chapter 18 really gets in there. But when it comes to forgiveness, I think one, one reason why we struggle with forgiveness, especially as we talk about it amongst each other, is depending on what kind of life we've had, we all have different experiences with forgiveness, and we also have different experiences as to what we need to forgive. You know, I, didn't, I grew up, my childhood, you know, had its ups and downs like anyone's, but I never had any major, major, you know, I didn't have people who I, I expected would care for me, betray me in any way. I, I can't say I was abused in any way. I had loving and caring parents. Uh, yeah, I never really had anything, you know, super traumatic happen, at least on a long-term kind of basis. Everyone has these points in their life. But I've known people, you know, in, in the church that have had a lot to forgive, that have come out of things like emotional abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, who have had, you know, a parent just kind of desert them and never, never communicate with them again, uh, betrayals among spouses. Uh, you know, I've, there, I've, I've known over the years people that have a lot more to forgive. And some people are able to forgive. I'm always kind of surprised. Sometimes the harder the things are to forgive, some people are able to overcome those more easily than the, than the pile-on of lots of little things over the years. But it's hard because we all have a different experience in it. And for me, I always question this idea, does forgiveness mean going back to the place as if it didn't ever happen? To go back into that place of vulnerability as if it never happened. For example, if, if I have someone in my house and they need a place to stay and I let them stay and they rob me while they're staying there, but then they come back and they say they're sorry and, 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 the, and they, they still need a place to stay, would I be willing to forgive them and let them back into my house? And to that I'd say yes, because I've done that. But what if they'd done something to one of my children? That's a whole different thing. It's a different thing stealing some money or, or stealing, you know, some, some trinket and, and, and selling it. But what if they'd done something to one of my children? Would, I, would then forgiveness mean acting like nothing happened and let them back into the house? Would I be a good parent if, if I was acting like, well, yeah, okay, forgive and forget, and now you can be alone with my child again? I think most of us here would be on the same page and go, no, that, that doesn't go. That doesn't fly. Right? Am I right? Yeah. But are we right? That becomes the question, right? I think we all agree in that situation. Yeah, you bet. As a parent, you don't let that person in. Certainly don't let them be alone with their kid again. But are we right? I think that's the struggle that we have. Because in the Bible, as you know, probably many of you know, forgiveness is one of the few areas that Jesus very much makes this kind of one-to-one -one equivalent. You know, by the amount you forgive is the amount by which you are forgiven. And that is kind of a terrifying thing when you sit down and really think about it. And so after Jesus talks about, you know, going after the person that has, has wandered away and you, or they've sinned against you, you go at them by yourself, and, and if that doesn't work, you take a couple with you, try to show them their faults. If that doesn't work, you bring them in front of the church. And if that doesn't work, you know, they're, they're treated as you would a tax collector or a pagan. And then Peter asks a pragmatic question because it follows up this idea of someone that has sinned against you and says this, Matthew 18, starting in verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? 
Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. And the servant fell to his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I'll pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, and I'll pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay back his debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went out and told the master everything that had happened. When the master called the servant in, then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each one of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Now, this section starts out with Peter asking a question, you know, how many times do I need to forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? And I imagine Peter thought this was a fairly generous amount, seven times. It's kind of the holy number, right? It's the number of perfection or completeness, up to seven times. And Jesus says it's not only do you have to do 10 times that amount, but 11 times the amount. You know, the amplifier of Jesus' forgiveness doesn't just go to 10, it goes to 11. And I expect that the disciples, when they heard this, they were like, come on. But before they can really protest, Jesus goes right into this parable. And it's a parable that, like a lot of Jesus' parables, has a lot of intentional exaggeration in it to make the point. And it starts out with this, you know, nasty character who owes the king more money than he could ever pay back. 10,000 talents is an enormous amount of money in that time. There's no way really even a, a servant would have that kind of money unless it was already the master's money, which I suppose is what the deal is. He somehow in the story gets the master to have given him 10,000 talents. It's like saying you had a billion euros to pay back. I mean, it's an, it's an exaggeratedly huge amount. And so there's no way he can do this, right? And then the king is going to sell off the man, his family, and everything he owns in order to start to try and pay back the debt, which wouldn't even begin to touch 10,000 talents. And before you start thinking, well, that seems unfair, this is a parable. This is an intentional story to make a point, and it's exaggerated for the intentional, you know, to make the point. And so the, the master just cancels the debt. The dude offers to pay it back, which is crazy. He, there's no way he can pay it back. This is like one of those movies where, you know, someone has gotten in bad with the mafia and they're, and they're about ready to get thrown into the lake with the, with the concrete around their feet. And they're saying, I can pay it back, I'll pay it back. Even though you're watching it and you're like, there's no way this guy can pay this back. But he does, he does say, you know, he's going to try and pay it back. And, and the master, instead of saying, all right, we'll, we'll work out a payment schedule, he just cancels the debt. Again, kind of like a, a shocking turn in the story. He just cancels it. 
10,000 talents, poof. So this guy goes out, and our happy hero then finds a fellow servant that owes him a relatively small amount. And of course, his story is quite clear. He ends up demanding from this fellow servant a fairly small amount. The fellow servant can't pay it, so he has him thrown into debtor's prison where he has to work and, uh, until this debt is paid off. Not quite sure how you work in prison in order to pay off your debt, but they had them also in, in, uh, in the uh, 1800s too, debtor's prisons. I'm not quite sure how those work, but whatever. And then the people find out, and it's actually the fellow servants that find out that uh, this guy did this, and they're not happy with it. The fellow servants aren't happy with it. So they tell the master what went on. The guy gets brought back into the presence of the master, and the master says, and it says this, Then the master called the servant in, You wicked servant! I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. And as, in other words, you begged for forgiveness of this debt. You begged me to forgive it, and I forgave it. I forgave this mountain of money that you owed me. Shouldn't you have had that mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you. Now imagine if you're listening to this story for the first time, this is actually where you would expect the story to end. Because the Jewish rabbis, and you see this in the Old Testament as well as Jesus does it as well, they would very often end a story on a question that leaves it up to you to interpret and to, and to come back around. The whole book of Jonah ends on a question where God says to Jonah, who's angry that Nineveh wasn't destroyed, he says, you know, you're upset because your vine died. Shouldn't I have compassion on these people, this entire city? And it ends on that question. It doesn't answer it. This would be a good place for this to end on the question because we would all know the answer to it, right? I mean, this is not that hard to figure out. But then Jesus goes on, and it's the next two verses that throw our little world into a tizzy. It says, in anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. Again, not quite sure how you can pay things back while you're in the midst of being tortured, but this is all part of the story, right? It's part of the idea that, you know, this guy is being punished for not showing his fellow servant the same kind of mercy that he had received. Okay, so you're thinking, all right, you know, a little bit of a harsh ending there so the kids remember it, but then he gets very personal, and gets up close to our own souls when he says, and this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Now it's personal. Now we have an application to this, which is not ambiguous. It, it doesn't leave the question like, shouldn't, shouldn't you treat your own servant the way that I've treated you? It doesn't leave us the easy answer because he gets into this deep here. Unless you forgive your brother from your heart. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Ah, that's hard, isn't it? I mean, if you really look at this and you really look at what he's saying here, this is tough. And this isn't the only place where forgiveness has this kind of connection to what, how, what you're willing to give out is what you get. The Lord's Prayer, it ends by saying this, Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then Jesus goes on to say, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. And if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive you your sins. Tough. Yeah? 
<laughs> I see some of you shaking your head. No, this can't be so. But it is. That's what he says. It's tough. So what's going on here? Are we saved by grace? Are we saved by works? Do we have to do the work of forgiveness in order to have the grace of forgiveness? Well, if that's the case, then there's an issue with our theology because our theology is very much as by grace you are saved through faith. And this not of yourself, it's a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. So if, so if the work of forgiveness is necessary for the grace of forgiveness to flow, the work of forgiveness on our part is necessary for the grace of God to flow into our lives with forgiveness, then there's something wrong with the way that we're approaching our theology. So what is it? I think, and this is where I, I, I go, kind of go into my own experience, because just like any of you, I struggle with this place. I struggle with not forgiving, but I struggle with how vulnerable do I you make myself again? I have no problem with forgiving. Someone just kind of does their own thing in their life, and I do my thing, and I, I have no ill will towards them. Fine with that. But what about if that person wants to come back into my life? Then is forgiveness mean they have a clean slate and we start as though nothing happened at all because that's what we seek from God. When we seek forgiveness from God, we want him to forgive us and come to a place of a clean slate and just let us kind of reboot and get started again, isn't it? When we ask God for forgiveness, very rarely do we say, forgive me for this much, Lord, but keep me accountable for that much. No, we want a clean slate. So are we willing and is it wise and is it even possible to give that to human beings? who are flawed, who have the potential to do the exact same hurt in your life again if you let them in and close to you? That's hard. I wish I had all the easy answers for you in that. But I think we need to, to before we can really begin to understand how, how it's supposed to look for us, we need to understand what it means for us to be forgiven of our sin. I think a lot of Christians don't really get what it means to be forgiven of our sin. I think when many people become Christians, they have a very vague understanding of their sin. Especially children. When children become believers and they say, you know, they, they seek God for their forgiveness of sin, what are children thinking of very often? They're thinking of things like, well, I told a couple lies to my mom and dad, or maybe I've told a lot of lies to my mom and dad. I've stolen a few petty things, and, uh, and maybe I, you know, use dirty language with my friends in the, in the playground. You know, it's not, it's the kind of thing we would look back upon as adults and go, all right, yeah, you know, you shouldn't do that, but in our minds, we know there's way, way worse, right? And then even as adults, when we become believers, or young adults, or wherever you became a believer in your life, when we say the forgiveness of sin, we, have, we still have a tendency to just kind of think about the big ones. Like when, when, when a, a person in their 20s, say, becomes a believer, and they know they need to be forgiven of their sin. There's, there's like a few big points that they tend to think on and say, I need forgiveness for this. Maybe somewhat abstractly we think, oh, I need forgiveness for a bunch of stuff, but these are the things I really know about. And then I think our Christianity basically teaches us to stop really being very introspective from that point. I think a lot of Christianity in the church is very outward. It's just kind of like, you know, how do you express yourself outwardly but don't look very deeply inwardly? Because we're not a very, uh, especially in the West, we've become less and less uh, introspective, less self-reflective over time. Everything's out in front of us. You know, we, we're, we like our screen time, and there's so many different things to have screen time with now. We have a tendency to, 
to be so busy with our lives that we don't really have time to sit and think about our lives very much because we just have things to do. They're right in front of us. You don't have time to stop and think. And as a result, we don't really dig that deeply in what it means to receive forgiveness for our sin. And as one grows in your faith, if it's healthy growth and there is a place of introspection in concert with the Holy Spirit, what begins to happen is that God begins to reveal in your life the issues in your life that are motivating the sin, sinful actions. Like you may sin by, let's see, like pornography, affairs, things like this. And those are the outward sins. But very often this, the, the character flaw that's motivating that is selfishness. Because you don't care about what these people are going through in the pornography. You just want them to please you. And you don't really care about you know, the, the, the long-term effects of an affair because you're just focused on self. The character flaws, the selfishness, the sin out there is, the, is these actions. And what we ask for forgiveness for very often is the action. But it's not until we're deep into Christ or we begin to really let the Spirit work through our lives do we understand the character flaws that are deeply within us that are causing these sins to take place. And this is why I think a lot of Christians kind of stay stuck in a particular sin over and over and over again in their life because they really don't go any deeper than just the symptom of the sin. They don't know, they don't know if they should go deeper or they don't know how to go deeper. So they stay stuck in this place. They stay stuck in the same sin over and over again. They feel badly about it. They're, they confess the sin again and again. They might even bring people in to be praying for them about that particular sin in their life. But because they don't go to the deep character issue where they've been, their very core being has been affected by this break in relationship with God that is caused by sin, because they haven't gone deep into that, they never really get to the core of it. And there are deep things which motivate us. Sometimes they're conscious, sometimes they're unconscious, but it takes a lot of humility and true repentance to get into these places where you have these character issues. And what are some of the obvious character issues that many Christians struggle with that lead to sin? Well, one of them is pride. God talks about pride all the time. Why? Because pride is one of these deep character flaws that manifests itself in a number of sins. Pride can manifest itself in you know, being kind of a controlling jerk. Pride can manifest itself in you know, breaking relationship because you're right, everyone's wrong. Pride can manifest itself in, in hurting. Uh, and when I say breaking relationships, it can be at work, it can be in your family, it can be with your fa uh, friends. You know, pride can manifest itself in all these different ways. And you look at the sin of it and you go, you sinned against me by saying such and such a thing. Or you sinned against me by doing such and such a thing. And the person might say, oh, sorry about that. But they're never really getting to what the root is. And a lot of times, and I think many of you, it's easier to see these deep character flaws in other people than we see them in ourselves. Because if you ever have tried to confront someone that maybe other people have noticed that there's this kind of character issue usually you get a lot of pushback, right? It's not too often that someone says, wow, thank you for pointing that out. Thank you for pointing out my deep character flaw. It's not, that is a very, very rare response. Most of the time what you get is coming right back at you. Well, I could tell you things that you've done. I've had people do that with me. 
you know, you're trying to approach a character issue that's going on that's affecting people around that person, and the thing comes back is, well, I could tell you things that's wrong about you, which is not the point at all, but that's where it stops. And that person never deeply goes into what is going on in their life. And here's the deal. I think this is where Jesus is coming from on a lot of this. First of all, I think he tells us this story to, on, on an extreme, because if you've noticed society, for the, for the center to move a little to the right or a little to the re- left, you have to have these people way out here in the extremes, and Jesus is trying to wake us up to the idea that forgiveness of sin is more than just the Old Testament thing of finding an animal and killing it and saying, there you go, I'm done, because that doesn't really deal with sin. And he also knows that the cross is coming up where people are going to say, Lord, forgive me, and then go, yay, I'm forgiven. Now I'm going to go on with life. And, God, and Jesus is saying, it's deeper than that. And unless you're willing to seek deeply the places in your life where you need forgiveness, then you will not receive forgiveness. Because if you don't seek, then you're never going to find the issue. If you never find the issue, you're never going to ask for forgiveness. If you never ask for forgiveness, you're never going to receive forgiveness. And the reason why I think Jesus says, you know, the amount by which you forgive others is the amount by which you're forgiven is because we are so easily see flaws in others. We see it in others more quickly. And if we're willing to look into what others do to us and understand that out of their depth of character flaw, they're hurting us, and yet we're still willing to forgive, then maybe we're willing to, then hopefully we'd be willing to go into our own depth of character flaw to seek out the Lord and seek forgiveness. This is what King David does. When he says, seek out my heart, O Lord, and if there's anything in there of which you find offensive, make it known to me and wash me clean. How often do we really do that? A lot of folks will say, I pray that prayer all the time. There's a difference between praying a prayer and meaning the prayer. And there's a difference between praying a prayer and then taking some time to think about it. Because most Christians, when we pray, we just kind of rattle off our needs list to God and then hang up. You know, our prayer is is very often like someone just picks up the phone. Hey, Lord, uh, you're great. You're awesome. Love you. I need this, this, and this. And yeah, help me out with this. Make me a better person. Amen. We don't take a lot of time to listen back. Yeah, in my opinion, this is just my opinion. If you pray, you, you you should take as much time to listen as you do pray. You know, if you express words for a minute or two, Take the minute or two to listen. If you express words for 10 minutes or so, take 10 minutes to listen. Don't you think what God has to say to you is more important than what you have to say to God? You say, "Uh uh-huh. Then take time to listen. (laughs) And I, you know, speaking to myself with this too. And I think forgiveness has a lot of this, this same thing. A lack of forgiveness very in our lives often indicates that we don't really understand what it is we've been forgiven of. When you really understand what it is you've been forgiven of, even if you lived a life kind of like mine, which has no great, huge, heinous, you know, oh, he, he murdered that guy or he robbed that bank or whatever in it, there's deep character flaws within even the best of us. Not that I'd put myself in that category, but even within the best of us, there's deep character flaws that, that need to be explored and forgiven. And if we have a lack of forgiveness, it tells me we really don't understand how much we've been forgiven. 
And the more you understand how much you've been forgiven, the more you're willing to extend forgiveness. The only way you're going to understand how much you've been forgiven is to go deep and to say, okay, these may be the sins that are in my life, but what is the flaw? What's behind them? Why are they there? If you have the sin of, of, uh, of fear over like your financial status, some people are in deep fear all the time over their financial status. That fear is a sin. And you might say, well, that's not like that big a deal. That's just kind of me. No one's being hurt by that. Yeah, but you're being hurt. That's a sin, but the question you need to ask yourself is, why do I have that fear? Why? Not everybody has that fear. Why do I have that fear? What am I afraid of? What does it tell me about my relationship with God that I am desperately afraid that if my bank account falls around below a certain amount, then, you know, all lights go red and I'm freaking out. Why? There's a fear there. Where does that come from? Scripture says we weren't given a spirit of fear. We were given the spirit of sonship by which we can cry out, Abba, Father, like Daddy, take care of stuff. If you don't have that, why not? Those are the places to be explored. If you have some other sin in your life, say you have the sin of lust in your life. What's the, what's the deeper character issue going on there? Is it selfishness, like I've already pointed out? Is it a fear of, of intimacy or that you, you know, who knows what it is, but you've got to go deep. And as a church, we don't need more Christians necessarily. What we need are deeper Christians. Deeper people that could impact the world with something else other than, yay, I'm saved and going to heaven. Because a lot of people, that's, that's kind of what the church has become in the West. It's just kind of this big glam and glitch show about people just kind of saying, yay, I'm going to heaven without anything deeper than just that surface message. And if we want, I don't know when the end is coming, people think we're, but I do know this, every day is a day closer. And I do know that like in a country like Germany where there's this Christian veneer of tradition over the actual population of the people, that they need folks that, that their Christianity is more than going to church on holidays, being baptized in the church, married in the church, and buried in the church. They need more than that from us. And the only way we can give more is if we are more. The only way we can give a deeper understanding of Christ is if we are a deeper people in Christ. I think, that Jesus, I think when you talk about forgiveness with Christ, you do have to fall back on grace. But he is giving us a warning here that we're not called just to be a shallow people who feel like we're going to heaven and everyone else is going to hell. That's shallow. That's not really understanding the love of God. Go deeper. And in that place that you're, you're struggling with the sin, if you want some help in that place, you know, there can be, you can talk to one another, but encourage one another. You may not even know how to go deeper, but just say, go deeper. And pray that the Holy Spirit will walk you in that place, because the Holy Spirit will. This is what he's there for. The Holy Spirit is in our lives to change our lives, to guide us in our path. And if you don't have a counselor around you or someone that you can trust to help you go deeper, just pray directly to God. God, the power of your Holy Spirit, reveal to me the deeper character flaws in my life and then give me your grace to have those things transformed into the image of God so that I can be a person that is growing into the righteousness which I have already been granted through the cross of Christ.
Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that you, know, you understand who we are. You understand the challenges and struggles that we have. And in this place of forgiveness, you also demonstrate just you know, an extraordinary amount of forgiveness when upon the cross, one of the last things you say is, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And so, Lord, we pray that for us. Lord, we pray that you would forgive us because we don't understand what we're doing. Lord, we don't understand the depth, of really, of what you took upon your shoulders for our sake. We don't understand what it means to really become sin so that we can become your righteousness. But, Lord, we pray you'd help us to be deeper, a deeper people who can bring something that is substantial to the world around us other than just a, uh, a story that seems out of joint and out of place about a guy who dies on a cross 2,000 years ago which somehow affects us today, but that we would be able to share with folks that because of Christ, because of his death upon the cross, and because of the spirit that you've given us, we can go deeper into understanding who we are and why we are so that we can truly live out what it means to be transformed into the image of Christ. And Lord, we are all on this journey, and we pray for your grace on this journey. You understand this? I think this is one reason why you gave us this parable, to, to, wake, to open up our eyes really wide to our need to go deep in order to receive deep forgiveness. And, then, and as a result of deep forgiveness, we receive a deep freedom to be who you want us to be. So we thank you and we praise you. Lord, help us to live out your forgiveness. God, those times when it's really, really hard, we pray you give us your spirit's wisdom. Help us to know where the lines are, where the, where the lines of protection need to be. You know, these are the questions that we'll discuss among ourselves and the church has discussed for millennia. But as for our own souls, Lord, may we be a people willing to have your spirit seek us out. And if there's anything that you find displeasing to you, that it could be repented of, handed over, so that we can walk in freedom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.